Welcome to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhamford.org. Last week we talked about the idea of marriages. We talked about the idea of uh, disruption in marriage. And we talked about specifically how kids in marriage are disruptions. Right? Kids disrupt marriage from the, very get, from the very beginning of marriage, from the very beginning of life. At conception, kids mess with your marriage. They disrupt your marriage. It's a blessing. It's a great disruption. I had five of my kids who listened to my message last week like, Dad, how can you call me a disruption? <laughs> like, I love you, my little disruption, right? Um, but I think everyone who has kids knows that this is true. Right? They all know that, that and kids, they just, they just disrupt marriage. And we've talked a lot about that stage of life. Kids in the house, soccer practices, younger families. But kind of as we're looking at the scope of this entire series, and even as we're looking at the scope of marriage, I think we'd be doing ourselves a disservice if we don't talk about what some people call the second half of your marriage right? Uh, and this is, there's actually a great book that I referenced a lot as I was writing this message because I haven't been there yet in my message, or I haven't been there yet in my life, rather. So like a lot of times as I'm preparing, I can lean on wisdom because I have experienced different things. Hey, this is a whole different, whole different thing for me, right? Because there's no wisdom for me there yet. I haven't experienced these things. So this is largely knowledge and some past experience, a couple stories and that sort of thing. So I always feel like I'm preaching a little bit out of a deficit when I'm preaching from knowledge rather, from, rather from wisdom. Regardless, Holy Spirit's going to show up and we're, we're going uh, to do our best. But I'm still like in the madness of the first half of marriage, right? With like literal peanut butter on doorknobs, like that, like that stage of life. But the second half of marriage is usually marked by a few things, right? The second half is usually marked by your kids moving out of the house, leaving you with, with an empty nest or an empty nest and not an empty nest and an empty nest and not, an, right, that whole, that whole thing. Uh, you get to worry about not only your kids, but you also begin to worry about and care for your parents as well. And so that kind of marks the second half of, of marriage. Uh, and you get to start counting the days until you can retire, all of those things are true about the second half of marriage. Actually, when I was at my, uh, <clears throat> my last church, I was 27 years old, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, young buck, right? Like, come in, and a lot of people on staff, so I made, I made friends with everybody on staff, but man, there was this one guy, he was uh, about 67 years old, his name was Tim Wheeler, and Tim was like classic grandpa on staff, right? Like, kind of grumpy about everything, but also like you always want to talk with him because he's a great listener. And also when he talks, like you want to listen to what it is that he has to say, even though it may be grumpy uh, when, he, uh, when he talks. Um, but, uh, but a few years into me being there, I noticed that he had brought in these two jars, right? One jar full of marbles, one jar empty of marbles, no marbles in it at all. And so after I like made a joke about losing your marbles, because that's what you do when there's marbles. Um, uh, I then, he was like, Tim, what are the marbles for? And he's like, hey, I'm just counting the days to retirement, right? Like every single, every single day that went by, he took a marble out, put it in another jar and all of that stuff. And so he talked to me about, man, he was really just looking forward to retirement, to this empty nest stage with his wife, spending time, more time with his wife, spending more time with his grandkids, like doing all those things that he really, really was looking forward to. And I wish the story ended with like in, when the last marble hit the hit the empty jar he walked out and retired he's still working there he can't say no to work and so it's kind of a sad a sad deal but regardless he was really looking forward to it at least at one point in his life um but uh but so often people talk about like this stage of life 
and talk about this stage of marriage and kind of long for it when they're in the chaos of, of the first half of marriage. But young marrieds in the room, if you think just because you are getting older that having an incredible marriage is easier, you're wrong. You're mistaken. A marriage is just as difficult in your second half of marriage as it is in the first half of marriage. There's just different difficulties that you have to overcome. This stage of marriage from empty nest on can oftentimes be one of the most difficult times in your marriage because you're undergoing the largest shift in family dynamics since you had your first kid. Right? Because at the very beginning, man, when you guys got married, it's just the two of you, you wake up, there's brunch is a thing apparently because you woke up at 10 anyway, and so what's breakfast? You just go to brunch, you don't have to worry about childcare, you don't have to worry about all those things, you care for each other, like you wash sheets together and make your bed together and do all like the fun thing. You want to do laundry together, I just want to be next to you all the time, and then a kid comes in and disrupts everything like we talked about last week, and a, a person who weighs a fraction of the weight of you like gets more attention than you do for whatever reason at that point, right? And then the same thing happens later on in life when you become an empty nester. All of a sudden, there was all these kids and, and activities and different things that you have going on. And then when you get to the empty nest stage, all of these buffers that you had put into place for the last 18 or so, 18 plus years of your life are now gone. And it's you and your spouse forever. There's no more buffer there's no more anything to separate the two of you, right? All of a sudden, you have to interact with your spouse. There's no form of your, your kids to kind of protect you from each other or distract you from each other anymore, and that's difficult, right? Because when you're in your first half of marriage, everything is like these small little conversations in between making PBJs and wiping noses and going to soccer practice and all these things, and then you go to work, and you're at work for eight hours a day, and you interact with other people for eight hours a day. And so then you get home and you have something to tell your spouse, right? So you have all these different buffers that are placed into your life. But then, man, you become an empty nester. You get to retirement age. And all of a sudden, it's you and your spouse with no buffer whatsoever. And that is hard. Because when your house is full or when you go to work, all those things, you have a regular income, all those things that isn't in the form of your retirement count. You have distractions that keep you and your wife distracted from one another. So regardless of your age today, I want you to think about what you want in the second half of your marriage. Okay, maybe you just got, maybe you're, maybe you're single and you're like, okay, even as I'm projecting out over the course of the next 30, 40, 50 years, what do I want the second half of my marriage to look like? Maybe you are married currently in the first half of your marriage and your goal is like, I just want the second half of my marriage to be quieter, right? That's my goal. Or maybe you're in the second half of your marriage, you think, you know what? We said we wanted to travel and we never got to do any travel. We said we wanted to do this together and we haven't ever done this together. Okay, time's running out. Time is short. What is it that you want to do in the second half of your marriage? So I want you to think about that, but I also want you to think about some of the frustrations that maybe become more apparent when the kids are gone, when retirement has, has come or, or is looming. What are some fears that you have that Maybe they've already been realized if you're in this kind of demographic already. Marriage is hard, though, and it doesn't matter what season that you're in. If you're married, it's one of the greatest blessings and also the thing that you will have to put a ton of work into if you want to be successful and, more importantly, if you want to be God-honoring. Howard Whiteman said this about marriage. He said, it takes guts to stay married. There'll be many crises between the wedding day and the golden anniversary, and the people who make it are heroes, if you are married in here, if you have stayed married in here, congratulations, you're a hero. It's difficult. It is hard. 
Here's the thing that's interesting, though. There's a ton of Christian books written about early marriage. Not early, like when you first get married, right? Or, or when you first have kids and how to navigate marriage when you have kids or even how to do like financial planning when you're younger and this is what you need to do to save for retirement and all of these different things. And there's even marriage or there's even Christian books about how to, how to like navigate divorce or how to navigate your midlife crisis or stuff relating to your adult kids and retirement planning and all these different things from a Christian perspective. But how to have a healthy, God-honoring second half of her marriage is not talked about is not talked about. As I was doing my research, I found a book, one book for me to be able to be like, okay, I have no wisdom here. I need to lean on some knowledge. So I had the Bible and this one book that I had to lean on for the entire time. And so that is, that is difficult. And it's just not talked about because I think people just assume, well, you've made it into your 50s and 60s and 70s. There's no reason you would ever get a divorce at this point. You've learned to put up with each other. Congratulations. So I'll say this, if you don't know if you're in the second half of your marriage or not, here's a helpful quiz to know where you stand. You have teenagers who have left or will soon leave the nest, right? Your parents are, are aging. You were recently invited to a high school reunion where the first number was a three. Yeah, I'm still in the twos myself, so I'm feeling very good about myself. Uh, you exercise more and burn fewer calories doing it, or you just choose not to exercise at all. Uh, you just received an invitation to join AARP. Anybody? True story. I got an email from AARP this week. I was like, are you kidding me? I'm 37 years old. Take that email back, AARP. Or my favorite one, by the time you get your spouse's attention, you've forgotten what they were going to say in the first place, right? Or what you were going to say in the first place. So any of those things, if any of those things are true, you're in the last, uh, or you're in the, the, at least approaching the second half of your marriage. So today, that's what we're going to talk about. Talk about some issues, some blessings, and talk about how we should approach all of this from a Christian perspective. But here's why we need to talk about this. There's a graph that I have for you. So this is a graph that talks about the differences in divorce from 1990, divorce rate from 1990 to 2017. Just look at the first half of the graph starting. In the first half of the graph, I'll tell you the 18 to 24-year-olds, it looks like the divorce rate has plunged, right? That's seemingly great news. I think the reality is, as part of it, is 18 to 24-year-olds aren't getting married as often. Um, and if they are getting married, they're like, oh, cool, or they're cohabitating or whatever. So I think there's a little bit of fuzz, a little bit of noise in that graph. But for the most part, everything from age 44 and back, divorce rate is on the decline, Things are looking good. And this is 1990 when everybody was freaking out about the divorce rates, right? It, super decline on the first half, but then you get to the second half, 45 to 65 plus, 45 and beyond. Look at those divorce rates. Like they are climbing. That's not good. They're still, they're still less than the first half of our lives, but look at them compared to 1990. They are growing incredibly quickly. Those like empty nesters, 45 to 54 category, divorce has gone up 5%. 55 to 64 has gone up 12%, more than doubling what it was. And the most concerning one of all, you seniors in the 65 plus age range, the divorce rate has quintupled from 1% to 5%. You're like, well, it's still only 5%. It's gone up five times what it was in the 65 plus category. This is concerning. And there is no Christian literature regarding how it is that you're supposed to navigate the second half of your life outside of the Bible and a book. So this is something clearly that we need to, we need to be looking at. And maybe you think to yourself, it's not a big deal. 
But these should be some of the greatest married years of our lives. And instead, people are fleeing from their spouse faster than at any other time in history. Why? Simply stated, I believe because the marriage was neglected. Many parents are so focused on their kids' lives, they simply forgot about their own. Marriages require work and maintenance. We've said it from the very get-go. There's a survey done, and what they found in this survey is that for couples who can just hang together through those like midlife crisis years, middle transition, marital satisfaction begins to rise again, and it stays that way. The second half of marriage gives you the opportunity to kind of reinvent your marriage, to make mid-course adjustments and to reconnect with one another in a more meaningful way without kids around. So what are some things that we need to work on or focus on in this stage of life to make sure we don't end up as st- statistics? I think the first thing, which is always true, is what Matthew 6:33 talks about. Is are we honoring God with our marriages? It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This verse itself, if you look at it in in context, is written about worrying about our days. What are we going to wear? What are we going to eat? It's saying, don't worry about the petty things. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be taken care of. It's the same chapter where Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's like, hey, look, doesn't God take care of the birds of the air? like, Like everything, all of creation doesn't he clothe all of creation? Doesn't he feed all of creation? How much more important is it that or are you to God than everything else? So in the second half of our marriage, are you seeking God's kingdom first? Well, what does that look like? First, we need to recognize who the king, or first we need to think about what the kingdom of God is. We need to recognize the kingdom of God is not just about your marriage. It's about living your life in God's kingdom here on earth, and your marriage is then a part of that. So who are we in God's kingdom as believers? First Peter 2.9 would tell us that the role of the royal priesthood, that we are a royal priesthood, and the role of that royal priesthood is to serve, equip, teach, and pray for people. That's a role of the royal priesthood in First Peter 2.9. And so what does that mean for your marriage then? It means your role in your marriage needs to be to serve, equip, teach, and pray for and with your spouse. That's what that means. If you are a royal priesthood, if you're a Christian, you are called to service, you are called to be a part of God's kingdom, then your responsibility is to do all of these things. So how do you serve the kingdom of God in your marriage? I think there's a lot of ways you can do this. But if I'm being honest, I hope that every empty nest couple, whether you're 50 or whether you're 90, can find their way to being partners in ministry and serving in the world some way. Maybe it's in the church, maybe it's outside of the church, but doing ministry together helps give you a mutual purpose. But beyond that, like you can do things that younger people simply aren't able to do. I mean, Jeff, just, like Jeff came up here and he literally just talked about an opportunity that senior adults, that people who are in this age demographic, empty nesters, you don't have to be senior adults, that empty nesters can help us with. Our fall carnival. Now, we, got, we had so many people on campus last year, which was great, but you know what moms and dads are doing that entire time? They're holding hands of kids, like, and their hands are sticky and gross, and they have masks like, off the side of their face, and they're doing their best just to keep these kids controlled. And there's bounce houses, and we give out irresponsible amounts of sugar and like all these things, and it's great. But parents are here the whole time, and like, I, we consistently like, count to five. I've counted to five so many times in my life. Like, I have five kids. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, we have all of them. Parents can't serve at this as easily as you empty nesters can, as you second halfers can. 
Get a car. Open up your trunk. Grab some. I don't care if you decorate it or not. Kids don't care what your car looks like. They care if you're giving them bucketfuls of candy. You can serve in that way. One of my favorite areas that we have people serve is our Tuesday mornings where we have ladies, oftentimes anywhere from like 15 to 25 ladies who are meeting in a small group on Tuesday mornings. A lot of them have babies on their hip. It's the only time they can come to something because they got young kids and we offer childcare at that time. And most often we have, we have ladies who are coming to serve in childcare who are either in the second half of their marriage or who are stay-at-home moms with older kids. Why? Because they can serve in that time where other people can't, young families can't. Maybe dad is at work and maybe both parents work or kids are at school or whatever. There are tons of opportunities throughout the week for those of you who are in the second half of your marriage, specifically even retirees, who you can come and help and serve the church. And again, it doesn't have to be here. Go somewhere else. Go on an admission exposure trip with Pastor Jeff. Why? Because you don't have to call into work and ask if it's okay. You can just go. There are tons of opportunities for the second half of your marriage. So while the second half of your marriage is, is slightly slower paced, slower paced, definitely less frantic, and you get more sunsets and fewer kid taxi rides, the Holy Spirit still calls all of us to say yes to serving his kingdom. Hear me on this. Just because you're retired from your job doesn't mean you get to come and only take from the church. There's nowhere in the Bible that says when you've served for five years or more, you can stop because it's someone else's turn to step up. This is an issue because we oftentimes see service for the kingdom through the same lens that we see, serve, like, like, that we see our vocation through. Like when I'm older and I've worked hard, I can now kick my feet up and yet let the younger folks handle it. That's true. That's partially true. Younger folks, hey, your job is to serve the kingdom as well. You don't get a pass on this just because you have young kids. You have to serve the kingdom as well. That's what we are called to do. But there is no retirement age from serving the kingdom of God. There's nowhere that says when you turn 65, man, you're done. You're done. Like you can just take at that point. And frankly, the younger couples need older couples to model what serving the kingdom of God looks like. That it isn't just about serving until your kid is done. It's not just about serving while you have more energy. My favorite volunteer, I used to go to two youth groups when I was younger. Okay, one of them, my, the, the, the church I went to, the youth group wasn't that great. And then there was another youth group with really pretty girls at it. So I went to that one too. It's very, it was very holy. I went to two youth groups. Um, but at this other youth group that was on, it was on Sunday nights. And we would come, we would do the games and do the message. Then afterwards, they'd have like this 20-minute section where we would be with small group leaders. And we would like process what the talk was and that sort of thing. My favorite leader, bar none, was a 70-year-old man who was way too short and very, very bald. And his name was Charlie Brown. Not joking. That's his real name. His real, he wore a yellow shirt. No, I'm just kidding. But he was my favorite volunteer. Why? Because he wasn't there trying to relive the glory days. Or anything like that. He wasn't there just asking like, hey, Peter, did you get a girlfriend this week? Uh, you know, what? he was asking me like what, like, what is it that you are struggling with in your life? How is it that you're pursuing God this week? You said you were looking at porn last week. Are you doing that again? Like he, he was intentionally asking me difficult questions because he knew what his responsibility was. His responsibility wasn't to be the cool kid on campus. His responsibility was to point me towards Jesus. 
And oftentimes in the younger generations, your 20s and 30s, we have a difficult time asking some of those hard questions. But instead of that, he didn't care. He was like, I know why I'm here. I know what my responsibility is. It's to point these young people that we see straight towards Jesus. I want to be like Charlie Brown so bad when I'm older to be able to serve that next generation to the best of my ability. We even have people here, we have some, some later in life, some second halfers who serve on Wednesday nights. If you're new with us, Wednesday nights, we got, we got kids ministry, we got all of our small group ministry, we got dinners that happen, we got all these things that happen. And so we have our small groups at the same time as our, as our kids ministry. And so you can go and drop your kids off in kids ministry and then the, the adults can go to their small groups and all of that stuff. So we have second halfers, married couples in, in our four and five-year-old, or our, uh, our fourth and fifth grade classroom, that they serve together. And it is so cool to be able to see them serving a younger generation. And not just because they're pointing them to Jesus, but also because where are all of those kids' parents at the time? They're in a small group learning how to be better parents, while those people who have already parented are back here serving the next generation. We have the same thing going with our second and third grade classroom. We have married couples who serve there. And they have to endure that classroom. That's a rough class. There's so many boys in that classroom who just want to like fight. My boys want to, but I can say it. You can't, but I can say it. And the way that they serve that next generation, just like point them to Jesus and love them to the best of their ability is absolutely incredible. And where are all those kids' parents? They're over here in their small group learning about how to be better parents. It's the kingdom of God working the way that it's supposed to work. And doing those things amid your marriage is incredible because it gives you a common bond. It gives you a common goal, right? Working together in the same ministry, at the very, less, or at the very least the same place, is a rallying point for your marriage, specifically in the second half. And honestly, it's, it's one of the single most important things you can do, you can pursue as a married couple. Why? Because pursuing and serving Jesus is the entire reason we exist as a church, It's the entire reason we exist as a people group of Christians. Because what Jesus did for the church is a perfect metaphor for marriage as well, right? Like Jesus shows up on the scene in all of the gospels and does nothing but serve and die to himself so we could live. Okay, let's plug and play that to marriage. It's the same thing you should do when looking looking towards your spouse. How can I die to myself so I can better serve Jesus and my spouse? That should be our goal. So working together is is incredibly important because at this stage in your marriage, you not only need to serve the kingdom as well but but because you're called to do that, but you need to create a marriage that is partner-focused rather than child-focused. That's a big deal. You need to create a marriage that is partner-focused rather than child-focused. A lot of times when kids leave the nest, couples move from like child-focused marriage to an activity-focused marriage. We're gonna do a ton of things and fill all of our time. Right? Community activities, they can take up time and energy that used to be devoted to, to kids. The issue is, is that these activities may still be buffers to like this mutual partnership marriage. So how is it that you can make that transition to a partner-focused marriage? I had a, uh, a family friend, his name was Mr. Ragonut. He was also my eighth grade algebra teacher. I learned nothing in his class. He was a great teacher. I just, I'm really bad at math. And and so later on, like he would, they would always come to our Thanksgiving dinners. And so one Thanksgiving, I remember him coming and he said, I, I, I retired this year. I was like, oh, it's great. Congratulations, Mr. Ragana, because I couldn't call him by his first name because he was my teacher. Um, 
And I was like, what are you doing now? He said, I decided when I retired that I'm going to say no to everything for six months. Like, oh, that seems bold. He said, I just, the amount of people who have retired and then just filled up their schedules as soon as they retired, he said, it's just mind-blowing to me. I said, I have friends now that, that they're busier now than when they were in their first half of marriage because they simply filled everything up with activities. Like, that's just all they did. And so the great thing about Mr. Ragana recognizing that and that wisdom that kind of came from that is his wife has a debilitating illness. Like she has to, she, she's bound to her wheelchair. She can't walk. She has a hard time eating even and all that stuff. And so for the first six months, he tried to figure out how he could serve his wife in the second half of their marriage to the best of his ability. He was an usher at church. And then outside of that, it was him and his wife. I think he snuck golf in every Wednesday as well. But still, like those three things where he just said, I'm just going to say no and focus on a partner-centered marriage, not on my kids. Why? Because this is like, this is your ride or die, right? This is the person that you are going to be with for the rest of your life. In two weeks ago, we even talked about what God has joined together, let no man separate. No man separate. So you have to foster and nurture this this partner-focused mentality, And if that's true, guys in the room, listen up, guys in the room, this means talking about how you're feeling. Feelings, okay? You guys have them, I promise. It means communicating your joys. It means expressing your deepest feelings. It means talking about your concerns. Guys, what would it look like if you were sitting on the couch with your wife and you were watching the Dodgers not make it any further into, I, I'm sorry, I had to. I'm a Giants fan, like I had to sneak it in. But if you were watching whatever game it was that you were watching, also I'm not sorry, Dodger fans, um, and you simply turned off the TV, it's the ninth inning of whatever game, turn off the TV, fourth, fourth quarter of whatever game, you turn off the TV, you turn to your wife and you just say, bride, Tell me about some of your hopes and dreams for our marriage. Would that be uncomfortable for you? Because if it would be uncomfortable for you, you might have some work to do in that realm of communicating with your spouse. Like their mind would be blown by that question. It's like, hold on, you care more about my hopes and dreams than the Padres making it to the World Series. That's like, that's what you're putting Fourth, and here's the kicker you can't just ask the question and then think about work, or you can't just ask the question and think about other things, dudes, because we do that. Psalm 141 3 says, Set a guard over my mouth, Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips. You have to, like, like let, me, let me put that verse, let's do a deep dive into that verse for you guys so you understand what it's saying. Guys, shut up and listen. It's what the verse is saying. It would be absolutely mind-blowing to your spouse, effective communication to allow your spouse to realize how much it is you love them. All right, so so far, just like looking back, what have we covered? Serve the world with your spouse, establish a spouse-focused mentality, and, and figure out some effective forms of communication. What else then? I think the last thing, one of the last things is you have to build a deep friendship with your spouse. And oftentimes that means having fun together got to have fun with your spouse, man. But even here, there's a tension point, right? Because men and women, we tend to have fun a little bit differently. At least that's the way that Sarah and I are wired. If I want to do something fun, it usually includes something active. Let's go on a hike. Let's go swimming in the pool. Let's do something active. Have fun together. When my wife wants to have fun, it means sitting with our feet in the pool and chatting. Like, that's fun. 
for my wife. And here's the general difference between how men and women usually enjoy quality time, right? How, uh, uh, guys, we usually enjoy doing things shoulder to shoulder, right? Let's play cornhole, right? That's why I had a cornhole tournament like at the guys because we can't just sit and chat. Like we're not good at that. Like let's throw beanbags into a hole. That'll break the tension, right? Like even like work days and that sort of thing. We have men's work days. We come and like we work for like four hours. So we don't talk to anybody and come home. Your wife was like, hey, how was, how was the work day? It was great. Spent a lot of time with, with my best friend. He's like, oh, who's your best friend? I didn't catch his name, but we worked for four hours together, right? Like we don't do names, but we do stuff together. That's for sure, right? And that's fun. Like that's part of like manhood. Ladies tend to do things more face to face or knee to knee across a table, with a latte and an orange blanket and pumpkin spice on top, right? Like it's chat. And I know I'm painting with a broad brush here, but guys, that means we have to do our best to kind of bridge that gap, okay? Snuggle up in a blanket with something flavored like pumpkin, okay? Talk with your wife, chat with your wife, be present with your wife. Ladies, you wanna make your husband's weak, go to the driving range with him. It'll be one of the best days of your husband's life and also one of the most frustrating days of your husband's life. I promise you that, right? He won't get to work on his golf game at all, but he'll get to see you participating in something that he thoroughly enjoys. It's an activity that you guys get to do together and be with one another. And it'll make his week. That's how I knew that Sarah and I, like how Sarah was supposed to be my wife, besides the fact that she's beautiful and she loved Jesus, other order, she loved Jesus and she was beautiful. We have fun together. Like, we enjoy our marriage, so figure out how to connect and communicate with your spouse while having fun because you're not promised tomorrow. No one is. Proverbs 27.1 tells us not to boast about tomorrow. You don't know what, day, what the day will bring. Our lives are finite, and to waste time being frustrated in your marriage, especially if you, after you've accomplished so much in the first half of your marriage, sounds crazy to me. So while you're on this earth, God is going to continue to move and shape you and work in your marriage as well as in your personal life. But the second half of your life can't be about just sitting on your laurels and thinking about how much you've accomplished. God is still moving. The second half of your marriage is a time to push hard into that marriage. Why? Because God is still working in you. There's a work to be completed. Philippians 1, 3 to 6, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You're not done here. I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're 20 or if you're 90. You still have a responsibility here, and God is going to complete a good work in you. So keep moving forward in that, even with your marriage. If you're sitting here thinking the best years are behind you, I don't think that has to be true. I think if you don't do anything about it, your best years are behind you. But you have more time than you've ever had, second halfers. You probably have more resources than you had in the first half of your marriage. You definitely have more wisdom than you did when you were 25. And just because your body makes a few more noises every time you stand up does not mean your best years are behind you. God is not done working in and through your marriage. So hear me on this. Empty nesters and above, second halfers, the church desperately needs you. The kingdom of God desperately needs you. 
And I get it. There are times where maybe you can feel like pushed aside because we live in a society that idolizes being young. But Proverbs 16:31, it's one of my favorite Proverbs. It says, gray hair is a crown of glory. What? We got people trying to cover up their crown of glory with bad hair dye. Stop! It's your crown of glory. You've earned that. The church needs you in the second half of your marriage. Your spouse needs you in the second half of your marriage. We need the gifts and unique life experiences of all the different generations. And there's something particularly helpful to our church body that points people to God's faithfulness when you continue to serve, even if the way you serve may have changed throughout the years. We need your life experience. You're not done here. Psalm 92 Verse 14 and 15, it's kind of a grim way of putting it, but it says, they still bear fruit in their old age. They're never full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. God's not done with you yet. And I get it, right? Like maybe there's times where you felt pushed aside or even you aren't wanted to serve or whatever. Can I tell you as a pastor in his late 30s, I may not be good at expressing it, but we want to communicate better with you and find ways to get you plugged into serving the church body. We have to be better at it too. I get it. Can I just say though that one of the greatest questions you can ask anybody who works in the church is how can I serve? Oh man, don't ask that question because we got a list We got people that we need to point towards Jesus. We have an entire county. He needs to know who Jesus is. And maybe it's time for you to jump in. Jump in with your spouse. So if you're looking for a place to serve with your spouse and solidify that second half of your marriage, I think there's some areas of service you second halfers could do great in. First one, I don't know what it is. It's probably the wisdom that we have talked about. But when it, it seems when people are in the second half of their marriage and second half of their life, they just become incredible prayers. You second halfers have a way of praying to God that I don't understand. And maybe it's me, maybe it's me being younger still and like I can do it, I can white knuckle everything, it's like I can build all of these things without God's help or whatever, but we need your prayer. And beyond that, there's nothing more attractive to me than when I see my wife committed to her relationship with God. Reading her Bible, her spending time in prayer, whatever it may be. Do these things together. Get unified in that ministry. Beyond that, I think one of the best spots for you second halfers is also encouragement and love. As a younger parent, can I just say that like we are faking so much of having it all together. We are pretending like we have all of this together. We are pretending like we know what we talk about. You second halfers remember because you pretended too. And you're like, I think I can raise good kids. Like, I think I know, like, I think we are on the right track, but it always starts with, I think. And you're tired. Like, we are tired in our first half of marriage. And so we need your encouragement. We need your love. Because you remember how hard it was. You remember how hard it is. There are days even your own family, those you love most, feel overwhelming to you. And you simply just need someone to come and encourage you. And the other day, my kids were playing uh, roller hockey out in our driveway, and Sarah and I were sitting on a rock having fun, right? Because that's what we do. Um, That's what my wife was having fun. Let's chat about our goals. Great. Um, So my kids, they were all playing in the front driveway, right? And all of a sudden, this car just like comes flying up irresponsibly fast. And it was someone in our church named Dave Fox. Um, (laughs) 
and love Dave, love Dave. But Dave was over at Costco. And, and so Dave, he gets out of his car and, you know, we pull my son out from underneath his car and we, I was kidding. He didn't hit any of my kids, uh, barely. And, and, uh, so anyway, but he gets out and he just got this massive box of ice cream with him. And he's like, hey, boys, you better ask your parents. I don't know if it's okay for you to have this before dinner. I'm like, Dave, don't ask it like that. Because obviously now we're all having ice cream. Like you could have hit it. Like it's a dinner appetizer for us. But it was a hard, like it was a long day. It was a Sunday. I'm always tired at the end of Sundays, all of those things. And like Sarah's working and the boy, like all of those different things. So it was just a long day. And here we have like Dave Fox with a box of ice cream. He's like, hey. Just want to tell you, we, we love you guys. Just want to encourage you guys. Left it with us. And he left. Like, that was it. No strings attached. Just wanted us to know that he cared about us. Wanted us to know that he loved us. You second halfers, man, you have the ability to do that. You have the time to be able to do that. What an encouragement on a time. But second half, folks, we need you also to be in community with us. Here's why. Psalm 145.4 says, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. They're talking about God. <clears throat> one generation will declare the mighty acts of God to another generation. We need to hear your stories of triumph and struggles through marriage so we know that we aren't on the island. And beyond that, so we know how to be able to, to navigate those things as we begin to encounter them. And so I guess with all of this, I guess my encouragement to, to all of you, like in your second half of marriage, is that you are going to get out of it what it is that you put into it, right? If your assumption is that the second half of marriage is going to be sad and lonely and you don't put any work into it, guess what? The second half of your marriage is going to be sad and lonely. It's going to be hard. You're going to be absolutely right. But if you decide the second half of your marriage is going to be just as enjoyable, if not more enjoyable as the first full of family and full of friends and full of serving the Lord and communicating with your spouse in a way that connects you at the hip, you are going to be set. It is going to be a much more enjoyable second half of your marriage. Because the reality is what I would hope for as the church is that we would be known as a church who pursues the Lord and a church who pursues our marriages until we are no longer breathing. Not until we have kids, not until the kids move out of the house, not until we retire, until we are no longer breathing, that we'd be willing to serve the Lord and serve our spouses to the best of our ability. Why? It's a gospel issue. We want people to know and recognize Jesus in our lives. We want people to know and recognize Jesus in our marriages. And if your marriage is not yet pointing people towards Jesus, you got some work to do, whether it's your first half or your second half. I don't care when it is. So my challenge to you this week is this. Remember to admire your spouse. Remember to not take your spouse for granted. Focus on your spouse. Regardless of your age, focus on your spouse this week. Do your best to, to point your spouse towards Jesus. Tell them something this week that you admire about them. Right? Like write it on a note and stick it on the mirror. Like super easy. You want to go like over the top and be extra? Like draw them a bath and write it in rose petals. I don't care. Communicate it in some way. Figure out how to show your spouse that you love them, you care about them, and you want to help point them to Jesus and point other people to Jesus in and through your marriage. Amen, church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. And God, we thank you for marriage. We thank you that it is your oldest institution.
that when you saw that man was not good to be on his own, you created woman. So, Father, thank you for that. But, God, we pray for, I pray for, for all of our marriages in here right now. God, that you would show us the blind spots that maybe we have in our marriage where we are, where we are too kid-focused or we're too job-focused or financially-focused or whatever. And so because of that, we're neglecting our marriage. We're neglecting our own flesh, as your Bible says. God, I pray that you would remind us why it is that we love and admired our spouses in the first place and that we would be able to communicate that. And God, also that our marriages would communicate your love for us. That our marriage would personify what you did for us, what you sent your son to do for us. That he came to die to himself so we could live. That we would do the same in our marriages. That we would be willing to die to ourselves so our spouse could live. That we would die to our own desires that we would die to our own habits, that we would die to our own schedules, that we would die to our own whatever it may be so we could do our best to point our spouse directly back at you. And in our marriage, we could point others directly to you as well. And Father, this morning, maybe there's those who are coming to church looking for hope and looking for an answer to something. And God, we know clearly that you and your son are the answer to everything when we're devoid of hope. So if that's you in here this morning, that you just want to say yes, that you want to make a profession of faith to Jesus, you want to say yes to his spirit, or maybe you need to say yes again, and you need to re-up and rededicate your life to him. Regardless of where you stand, you can simply repeat after me in the quietness of your own heart. Pray, say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior that I fall short of your standard, Lord. But B, I believe you sent your son to die on a cross for me. Because the wages of sin is death, as your word says. And you took that for me. And so because of that, God, I see, choose to follow you every single day. Whether I'm single or in the first half of my marriage or the second half of my marriage. God, that I would choose to follow you. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.